The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. It's good to be back. I feel like I haven't been here in forever. It's good to be back. We were in quarantine last week or I would have been here. Thank you guys for your prayers. Ended up being a false test. Our family was all fine and healthy through it all. But I do thank you for your prayers. We have a uh, good message this morning, and it's not because it's me. Uh, I don't say it because it's me, but I don't know how you can have a theme of hope and not have a good message. And so I, I trust that God will use it this morning in our, in our lives and in, in your life. I don't know what's going on with you in your life, what you're facing. But what you're going to hear this morning is a message of hope, and you're going to see the truth of this hope. We're in Romans chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 5. Pastor Scott last week looked at uh, verses 6 through 8, pretty much, is where he spent his time. And so next week, I'll finish up our little section through verse 11. Uh, But today, like I said, our our focus is on verses 2 through 5, and this really piggybacks off of verse 1. And if you remember, this was uh, Pastor Spencer. He preached this uh, passage in, in verse 1 there. And if you look what it says, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's really four things there in that verse. First, our justification happened in the past and it's complete. It's something that has been done. It's not something we're working towards. And we'll talk about that maybe a little more in this message. The second thing is our justification is by faith. It requires this, this faith that we have in God and what he has done through his son, Jesus. We have faith in that. We believe in that. We trust in that. And then our justification, though, gives us peace with God. And there was something very important about this peace with God, because when we hear that, that we have a way to have peace with God, we might say, yeah, but I don't, I don't feel that. I, I, don't, I don't sense that. I, I don't even necessarily see that. There's a lot of there's a lot of difficult things that still happen. And so how can we say that we have peace with God? And Pastor Spencer brought this out, I thought, very well. It's a relational peace that we have with God. Between me and God, we have, everything is good now, right? Because of what Christ has done for me. And so it's a a relational peace. And so while the world may still war, there's still these difficulties, I know that my sin no longer separates me from God because he has satisfied that in Christ through Jesus. And that's where it came to the end. I was really getting bothered, actually. I was sitting here in the front row listening to Spencer, and it was really bugging me because he kept reading verse 1, and he never would read through our Lord Jesus Christ. He just wouldn't do it. He kept stopping there. And so I got on my phone, and I'm like, are there other versions that don't say this? And, and I'm flipping through. I'm like, nope, every single one says it. I don't know why he's skipping it. And it was because it was his last point. Uh, he, I guess he was like hanging it there as bait or something. I don't know. He was trying to get us at the end. But our justification is done through Jesus and what he did. And that's important. It's through Jesus and what he did, not, not by me and what I do. It's not by what I can accomplish or, or what I can do for God. It's, it's through Jesus and what he did. And so my salvation is not based on me. It's based on Christ. And so we're, like I said, we're piggybacking off of this because what Paul goes on to do here is he shows us the assuredness of our justification, 
and our guarantee in that. And because we have the guarantee, this is where hope then comes. So look with me, beginning in verse two, and I'll read through verse five, and we'll do our best to cover all that this morning. It says, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We'll spend a lot of time on verse two this morning, and we see there at verse two at the very beginning, after talking about how this, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, it says, through whom also we have access by faith. We have access to the Father, and I want us to look at that some right now. Not only does God give us peace with him, right, and so it's not only, it's not like God just says, okay, Tim, you're good. We're, we're, we're good. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Now, now go. You know, you might have that with some situations with some people in your life where something happens and you say, you know what? We're all good. We've said our things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be best friends. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to hang out all the time anymore on holidays and stuff. We're okay and we're fine. And if I see you at Meyer or one of those things, we can say hi and we can talk or we can do these things. We're good. But, but really, there's still some separation there. That, that seems to be pretty common, actually, in this day of age. Now, that's not what we're talking about here with God. It's not a, you know what, fine, you're good. You said you believe in Jesus, you're good, fine. But, but go, don't, don't bother me anymore. No, the picture that we have here in Romans is he, it says he ushers us into his presence in the midst of his courts. And so God not only satisfies his wrath through Christ, doesn't all just give us righteousness, Christ's righteousness in our life and forgive us of our sins. The Bible tells us that then he, he pulls us into his courts, into his presence to, to be with him. In, in the book of Psalms, it, it says this as well, Psalm 84.10, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of my wicked. Well, now the good news for us as Christians, according to this verse here in Romans, is God doesn't say, you know what, you can come into my presence, but you're going to be the doorkeeper. You just open the door, let people in, smile at them, make sure they feel comfortable. No. He ushers you into his presence, in his courts to, to be with him. And that's a very special thing that we've been given as Christians. Sinclair Ferguson, who's a pastor, actually one of his books is on the Welcome Center that we've encouraged you to take home to read through Advent. I know my family, we've been reading that uh, together as a family. He gives an example when looking at this passage of a beggar. You think about a beggar who, who's on the corner and he sits on the corner in front of the, the royal court all the time. And so for, for this beggar's whole life, they've seen people pass by and, and go into the presence of the king or, or go into the banquet with the king and to do all these things, but yet the beggar sits there all alone all the time, maybe receiving some scraps, you know, maybe getting some money from somebody who passes by, who knows what. But the picture that we have here is that this beggar then one day is sitting there and there's a party that is being thrown 
And all of a sudden, the king himself walks out, walks out of the party, comes out onto the street and comes to the beggar and says, I want you to be with me in the party. I want you to come with me. And so then the king takes the beggar, come and supplies all of his needs, meets all of his problems and cares for him and brings him into his presence into the middle of the courts. Doesn't say to the beggar, you know what, you kind of stink, so just go off to the side and hang out over there. It's warmer in here. No, not that type of picture. Come in here, dance with us, eat with us, have fun with us, laugh with us, enjoy with us. You are with me. You are in my presence. That is the picture that we are given here of us. Apart from Christ, beggar, saved by the grace of God through Christ, now in the courts with the king. Another thing that comes to my mind when I think about this is it reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. When I was away a couple weeks ago, I was down in Tennessee, and my brother and I, brother-in-law and I went to a, a church down there on Sunday morning, and the pastor was preaching on the prodigal son. And I was listening to him, and he said something at one point, because he, his focus was Thanksgiving. But he said something at one point that I've been thinking about ever, ever since. He said, imagine, imagine being that prodigal son sitting at the table, and the party is going on, and knowing where you had been, and knowing where you are now, and knowing that the only reason you are where you are now is because of the grace of your father to let you back in. After you took his inheritance and you squandered it, you lived in sin, you've embarrassed yourself, and to be honest, you've embarrassed your family. But then this son comes back and the father just welcomes him in, and now he's sitting at the table with this party going on and it's all for him. It's all because of what, all because this father did this for him. He said, this pastor said, imagine what that must have been like for that prodigal son. And I sat there and I thought about that as he, as he was talking about that. And I thought, I don't have to imagine much because that's, that's my life. That's me and my relationship with, with my God. I am the one who went away, yet by his grace, he has saved me and welcomed me in. And according to this passage in Romans chapter, in verse two of chapter five, he ushers me into his presence so that I can sit and I can dine and I can sup with him. Not being ashamed, not being guilty, but understanding that he has ushered me in with him. This is what God has done for us through faith. We as Christians are in his courts. I think about the book of the Song of Solomon where it says, I am his and he is mine. That's the relationship that we have with the Father. I am his and not just that, he is mine. And he has ushered me into his presence to, to be with him. And that's why Paul then would go on in verse two. He would say, by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice. We see that word rejoice. Knowing that we are in the presence of God re requires us and causes us to, to rejoice. And in fact, if you look at that word, that, that word rejoice actually means boast. It means boasting. And, and Paul has already used this word before in Romans, and he used it here. I'm, I'm going to read it. It's in Romans chapter 3, verse 27. After talking about all of our sin, talking about how everybody is a sinner, nobody, nobody can get away from this. Pastor Spencer brought this up when talking about justification. Paul gets to Romans 3.27. He says this, says, then what becomes of our boasting? 
Same word as the rejoicing that we just used. But Paul says this, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So what Paul has told us in chapter three is you have no room to boast about anything because your salvation, your justification is not based on you. So stop boasting. Yet just a couple chapters later, in chapter five, we're being told, boast. This boast, this, this rejoice. Well, that's kind of confusing, is it not? Paul, you're telling me not to boast, and now you are telling me to boast. How can this be? Well, it's obviously, it's based on what our boasting is in. What am I boasting about? Because in Romans chapter three, I cannot boast of myself because I've done nothing for my justification. I've done nothing for my salvation. Yet now what we see here in Romans chapter five is what I boast in is I boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's what it goes on to say. Boasting in what? You boast, read it, it says it right there, in the hope of the glory of God. So we gotta know what that means. Because if Paul is telling me now to boast, I need to be boasting, but boasting about what? I'm good at boasting about myself. Some of you are really good about boasting about your kids. You do an excellent job of it. To me, they look like superheroes. I know they're not, but you act like they are. We're good at these types of things. And so we have some experience in boasting, but Paul's already washed all that away. I can't boast in that. So I have to boast in the hope of the glory of God. Well, what does that mean? When we look at this word hope, today what hope means, when we talk about hope, it's, it's pretty synonymous with a wish. You know, a wish and a prayer, people will say, well, prayer now is kind of a wish. You know, it's like a lucky rabbit's foot or, or something like that, where we, we just hope that it will do something. I hope that this will happen. It really almost is like, I don't think it's gonna happen, but I hope it's gonna happen. It's almost really low. But when you look in the Bible, this is not the hope that is being talked about here. Biblical hope isn't this wish. What we have here is we have a hope that is absolutely 100% cemented in something that has already been accomplished. That's why I say we're piggybacking off of verse one, because Pastor Spencer brought this out. Our justification is something that has happened even in time past. God knew before the foundation of the earth that your justification would take place, sealed and final. And so our hope is in this, and it is a cemented hope. And why is it true? Why can it be 100% guaranteed? Because I'm hoping in what? I'm hoping in the glory of God. And the glory of God cannot be shaken. It cannot be moved. It cannot be ripped off its foundation. Therefore, I'm boasting in what God has done for me through his own glory. That's what I'm boasting in. As a Christian, I can stand and boast in my God, in his glory, because I stand in his presence, in the midst of his glory, and it is cemented. Nobody can move me from this. And now, to go on, if I stand in his courts and I stand in his glory, then the Bible tells me I'm also being glorified. I get to partake in the glory of God by becoming glorified myself. Now, I hope for you this is a big deal because this is what we look forward to 
as Christians. I hear you speak about it. I hear people sing about it. We look forward to that day. You know, one of the things about Advent is we celebrate the coming of Jesus. But one of the things that Advent does for us too is it, it helps us to think that he's promised the second Advent, that Jesus will come again. And so we look forward to that day. And why do we look forward to that day? Because we have been promised that when Jesus comes again, our bodies will be glorified. We've been given that promise. I hear it at funerals. I hear it at different places. This old body will be gone. You know, you're limping around, walking, you got a messed up knee or whatever it is. And your hope is that one day in glory, this body will be made new. That's what I'm talking about here. This glory actually has been guaranteed for us. When we look at justification, like we've already talked about, it is instant and it is final. It is not a process. Okay, when God saves us, it's not this this process. It is instant and it is final. Again, it's what Pastor Spencer talked about. I don't need to go into that too much. Now, what we often talk about after justification is another, another word similar called sanctification. Now, sanctification is the process of me being made into the image of Jesus. It is something that God does and that he allows me to partake in. That's why we say, be in God's word, read God's word, spend time in prayer, do these things that God calls us to do. Watch God work and mold you and shape you and make you into the image of his son. And hopefully for those of you this morning who are Christians, you can look back on your life and you can see how God has done that for you. But you also can look and see where you are right now personally and say, he's got a lot more work to do, right? We can all say that. We all know that. We all understand that. This is sanctification. And so you would think, you would think if Paul knew what he was talking about theologically, he would talk about justification. He would then talk about sanctification. And then he would talk about glorification, us being glorified. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. And to be honest, this is very good news for us. What he does is he goes straight from justification to glorification. He skips the whole messiness of sanctification. And we got to ask, why? Why did he do this? The reason he did it, I think, is simple. He did it because glorification is guaranteed. If you have been justified by the grace of God, listen to me, you will be glorified by him too. It doesn't matter about your sanctification. It doesn't matter how much you do on this earth after your justification. You say, well, I got to at least reach 10 people with the gospel. No, no, that's not what your glorification is based on. The fact of you receiving your new body and you getting to spend eternity with God and his glory and him, again, glorifying you, has nothing to do with that sanctification. That's why Jesus could look at the thief on the cross and say, today you will be with me in paradise. What did that guy do? He didn't do anything. His sanctification process was zero, nothing. You say, well, maybe while he was hanging up there, he was blessing people. Doubt it, I doubt it, right? Thinking good things about people, no. No, but yet for him, 
Just like for you, if you are a Christian and been saved by God's grace, glorification is 100% guaranteed. Paul goes on to say this later in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now catch verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, again, you might think he gives the ability to be sanctified. But he doesn't say that. Those whom he justified, he glorified. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. We have our hope cemented because we know that being justified means we will absolutely be glorified. And actually, right now, as a Christian, you stand in the glory of God in his courts daily, on a daily basis. That is where we get to stand. Now, because of this, growth in Christ is possible. Because we stand in that glory, yes, we can grow in Christ, and we should, but it happens only because we stand in God's glory. And then this, Christian, is our boasting. This is what we get to boast about. I am made right with God because of God. God loves me because of what he's done for me. That is what I get to boast in. But now, sadly, many of you, me as well at times, but many people, many Christians struggle with the age-old struggle that Satan has been trying to convince God's people of for a very long time, and it's this. God is not for you. He's against you. Even in the garden, Satan would try to convince Adam and Eve, and he did a good job of it, to think, Maybe God isn't for us. Why would he plant all of these beautiful things, but yet one we cannot touch? Does he not like us? Does he not care about us as much as we thought he did? See, Satan just kind of puts that in there, and sadly, we as humans forever have been taking the bait. And so we start to think and we start to wonder, maybe God isn't for me. Maybe God is against me. Maybe that's why we have all, I have all these struggles in my life. It's because God's actually mad at me and God's, God's angry with me. But yet, we read verses like Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, which tells us as Christians something very different. Hebrews 4, 16 tells us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We get this command from God telling us to come to him with our needs, come to him with our desires, come to him with our wants. He is a good father who cares about you. But yet too often, we walk around very differently, do we not? Too often, groups of Christians are some of the mopiest people I've ever been around. It's pathetic, really. It's sad. You think, why, why in the world would I want to go there? Why would I want to be with those people? It's a lot more fun when I get away from my Christian friends. It's a lot more exciting when I'm 
not by them anymore. I think the reason for this oftentimes in our lives as Christians is because we've believed the lie of Satan. We think that God is against us, not for us. Oh, we'd stand and proclaim he saved us through Christ, but we still think that our sanctification is what determines our glorification. We think if we want something good in our life, we must do something good first and then God will bless us with a good thing. We think that that's what it takes. Now listen, Paul addresses this in the next set of verses that we've already read. Look at verses three through five. Because this is, this is a weird jump. Paul talks about our hope and the glory of God. Then it's almost like he's a downer. Look it. And not only that, but we also glory, and we're all excited about it, in tribulations. Wait, what? Paul, you had me really excited. I'm justified. I'm glorified. I have this hope. But now you're telling me my hope is found in tribulations? And he doesn't just stop, does he? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. This is what Paul's saying here. We as Christians find our strength during trials, during tribulation, because of the great hope that we have in God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you maybe have said this before and you didn't know why you said it and you might not have even known it was a scriptural thing, but maybe you've said things like this. I don't know how non-Christians live and survive and don't just go crazy in this world. I don't know how they can go to sleep every day and wake up and go do the same thing without being a Christian, knowing this stuff about God. And that's true, that's right, but this is where it comes from. Because apart from the hope that we have in God through Christ, listen, none of that stuff does make sense then. None of this stuff does matter. If there is no God, if there is no Jesus, and this is all that we have, then really the real answer is, why do we live for this then? Because this is a bunch of junk. This isn't worth living for. You tell me 2020 was worth it? This is our prize for breathing? That now if I breathe, I can die? If I get close to somebody else who's breathing, you're telling me I can die? That, that's the truth. If there is no hope cemented in Christ, then there is no hope. And so when we look at ourselves as mopey Christians, that really doesn't make sense, does it? Because the only people in this world who should live as if this life matters and has any meaning and makes sense in any way, shape, or form are those who've been justified by the saving grace of God. We are the only ones. We are the only ones that can look 2020 in the face and say, all this is for a plan and purpose. We're the only people who can do that. We're the only people that can look these things in the face and say, regardless of all of this, I know this. What God is doing is he is producing within me perseverance because this stinks. 
living life this way stinks. But I'm going to gain perseverance because I know it is for a purpose and a plan of an almighty God who has drawn me into his courts. And not only does it produce perseverance, but I hope and pray then God takes that perseverance and produces within me character. Now we could say, what is this character? I haven't put a lot of study time into this, but I'd have to think it's connected with the fruits of the Spirit. That we as Christians live out the characteristics that God has put in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those words, to me, seem to be the opposite of what we've experienced in 2020. Yet what Paul is telling us is that through tribulation, perseverance will be made. And then perseverance will produce character. And as God produces character in my life, hope again is reborn and reborn and reborn. This all is very good news. Because as I look at the difficulties and the, of this life, as I look at how burdensome and how hard it can be, if I continue to read Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to the end, which I had the privilege of reading at Brother Austin's funeral this week, because that was his favorite section of verses. Paul would go on to say, this is why I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, because nothing can touch me. Nothing can separate me, and nothing can diminish my hope in my God, because it is cemented, it is over. He has saved me, he is going to glorify me, and no matter what Satan or the rest of this world throws at me, it cannot touch that. I might fall backwards in my sanctification process. I might do these bad things once in a while. But listen, you cannot separate me from the love of God. And that is what my hope lies in. And it is cemented in that and in that alone. In Romans chapter 8, Paul would also say in verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not even worth comparing. You know, when you have little kids and they have to go get shots, you try to tell them it's worth it. Don't you? It's for their benefit. You won't have chicken pox, maybe. You know, you'll never have shingles or whatever, whatever the vaccine is they're putting in their leg. It's really hard to convince that kid it's worth it. I'll give you a sucker if you just get poked four times and have a fever for the next three days. You can have a sucker though, right? We, we tell them it's it's worth it. And as we grow up into adults, we try to play that game. Is it worth it? The suffering that I'm going to go through, is it worth it for what is going to happen in the end? Listen, brothers and sisters, for us, what Paul is saying, to compare the troubles and trials of this world to the weight of the glory of God that we will receive in our glorification, he says, doesn't even compare. How would you even for a second try to compare it? You say, well, Pastor Tim, life is so hard. It's so difficult. Listen, when I stand up here in this pulpit, it is so hard for me not to tell you stories of my own life. But I am not void of difficulties in my life. 
I am not void of troubles. I am not void of hurt. I'm not void of the ups and downs of life. Maybe my downs haven't been as down as you, or my ups haven't been as high as yours. Maybe. But the truth still remains. It doesn't even begin to compare to the glory that God has already guaranteed me. And so no matter what this world may throw at me, as a Christian, I can stand and say, listen, you can't even touch my hope. You can't even begin to think for a second that you can take my hope away because my hope isn't cemented in me. My hope's not cemented in this world and hoping that it's going in a good upward trajectory. I just don't think it's going to get there. My hope is in the finished work of Christ and that it's finished in my life as well. Now, you may be sitting there and saying, Pastor Tim, I'm struggling with this though. Maybe you've got it, but you're a pastor. You've got this special connection, which isn't true. Paul speaks of this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If you're a Christian today and you're struggling with this, an old preacher, his name's Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think he has an answer for maybe why you're struggling with this, and I hope that you'll take this as a challenge. In his Romans commentary on chapter five, it's in page 58 of his commentary, I wrote this quote down because I think it's still very fitting for us today. You say, man, I'm struggling. I'm just seeing the struggles. I'm seeing the things of the world. I know Paul says to look at the unseen things, but I'm struggling to see it. This is what Lloyd-Jones would say. He says, if you have not seen something of the glory of God and of Christ, it is because you are looking too much at other things. You're looking too much at your newspaper. You're looking too much at your television. You're looking too much at the world and its gaudiness. Turn away from it all and begin to look at, to gaze upon the things which are not seen, the things which are eternal. Set your affections there. It calls for an effort of the will and discipline. It means diligence in your study of the scriptures and meditation upon them. Seek him there. Ask the spirit to reveal him to you. Ask him to manifest himself to you. Once you have caught a glimpse of him and the glory that awaits you, then you will be very ready to join Paul and say that you boast in glory and exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Maybe that's your struggle. Maybe you're staring too much into the gaudiness of the world. Maybe the reason you can't see the unseen things is because you're too busy looking at the seen things all the time. Your life has become focused on that. And that is why you're a mopey Christian. That's why you're a Christian who struggles during Advent with the four words that we're bringing up. Peace, love, hope, next week, joy. Because when you look around, if you're honest, you say, I don't see any of those things anywhere. Paul would say it's because those are the unseen things that come by direction of the Holy Spirit as we focus our life on him and the things that God has called us to. 
He produces inside of us those things continually. I know I've seen it play out in my life. Some of the worst days of my week are when I go down the rabbit trail of Twitter or some news network. Those days are horrible for me. I have heartburn those days. I have anxiety those days. I'm angry those days. It's because on those days, I've just seemed to focus on the things of the world. And honestly, I feel like there is no hope here. I don't see any hope to get out of this. But then I'm reminded of what I'm talking about this morning. My hope's not in those things. And I cannot be distracted by the things of these world. I must set my gaze upon God and understand he has ushered me in to his courts to be with him. And he cares about me and he loves me and he wants my good. Do you believe that? He wants your good and he wants to hear me pray to him and to seek his face. Yes, and he he wants me, yes, to serve him and to honor him. I think some of us need to be reminded of that. God loves you as Pastor Scott preached to you last week. God has given you peace and hopefully he's given you a hope that cannot be shaken because you stand in his courts and your glorification is cemented. It's sealed, it's written, it's over, it's going to happen. You will be glorified. Oh, this world may kill you but they cannot take away that from you. And so as Christians, especially during this Advent season, let us have hope. As we stare at those mangers that we see all over the place, as we look at those lights and these different things and we see that little baby and his two parents standing next to him, let us understand what we're looking at. We are looking at hope in a crazy world. I'll end with this. We were watching, we watch all these Christmas stuff, all the singings and shows and all these different things. I, I couldn't tell you which, which one it was. It's a very secular one. And there it is. They, they, start, they start the show with joy to the world. Joy to the world. And I thought, man, this is, this is odd. This is really odd because I know they don't believe this. I know what they're singing. They don't believe. They don't find their joy in Christ. They don't. But but what other time of the year do we have them singing those songs, our songs, on TV? Let us live that way, believer. Let us live with the hope that is inside of us because of our guaranteed salvation and glorification that is found because of that baby in that manger. That's the good news of Christmas. That is the hope that we have. That is why we celebrate it. And I'm thankful that it comes at the end of this year, for sure. A year of no hope, a year of very little joy. Yet we are reminded at the end of the year, oh yeah, we have hope and it's hope eternal. Let's bow together, let's pray. And then we're gonna sing last Christmas carol to close us. God, I don't know everybody's hearts here. I can't peer into them and I'm thankful I can't. God, you can. And so God, I 
I know there are people here this morning who have been saved by your grace. They are yours. God, I, I pray that you would help them to see that fresh and new today through your word. That they would see the hope that they have that is cemented in you regardless of these outside things. And in fact, what you have done for us is all these outside things, these lies of Satan, these struggles in this world actually produces within us more and more of the image of your son. As we see these struggles in the world, and God, I wish I could stand here and say, I think it's gonna get better. I don't, I don't know that. And I think the people who say they do know it are liars. God, we don't know that, but God, I do know this. No matter what happens in 2021, 2022, it cannot separate us from the love of God that we find through Christ Jesus. It cannot. Therefore, our hope remains cemented forever. And the promises, God, that you have given us in your word remain, that you've adopted us into your family, that you love us, that you, you want us to come to you in communication and prayer. Your word tells us that you have good plans for us. God, we, we need to believe those things. Yes, we need to understand what they mean. We need to hold to those truths. So God, I know I seek for help from you to help me not be a mopey Christian all the time, but to live my life with these words that we're talking about, hope, love, joy, and peace, for them to be very real in my heart and that people would see that and notice that difference inside of me, that I have a hope that's not centered on the things of this world. It's not centered on who's, a, who's in leadership. It's not centered on whose army is the biggest. It's not centered on how much money I might have. God, I want people to see that, that it's centered on you, no matter what situation we're going through. And God, that you would then use that to draw others to you. God, I pray that the people of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church would be known as joyful hopeful Christians. God, I know it needs to start here with leadership as well, so help me with that. God, as we sing this last song, I pray that we would sing it as praise to you. God, of course, we pray if there's anybody here this morning who hasn't realized this hope that's found in Christ, that they would, you'd open their eyes to that truth, draw them in by your grace. God, we do love you. We thank you for how kind you are to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.